Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. episode 41 of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. On today's show, we are starting another, I suppose, kind of mini-series, I guess, similar to how we look back on the year 2000, pay-per-view by pay-per-view, with the excellent David Eaton. We're going to jump back a little bit further with a former guest, Simon Quest. Uh, he's going to be joining me on a short series of shows to look back on the year 1993 in the WWF pay-per-view by pay-per-view, and maybe a few extra moments and shows chucked in as well to maybe bulk it out a touch, whether it's certain episodes of Raw, um, the March to WrestleMania show that sometimes used to get aired around this time, or potentially even the Lex Luger event where he body slams Yokozuna um, on Independence Day 1993. We'll, we'll see how it goes, but we're definitely going to be looking at important moments throughout 93, including all five pay-per-views. So today we're going to be starting with the Royal Rumble 1993. I think this is going to be a really interesting series as Simon looks back on this period very fondly remembering it as the sort of start to his wrestling fandom as I'm sure you heard on our initial discussion about his career and love of wrestling a few episodes ago whereas I look back on this era as being quite a dark period for professional wrestling in general so I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be a really really interesting series of conversations looking at this time frame from potentially two different viewpoints um, I hope everyone enjoys it I mean the, the first episode that I recorded with Simon Quest I enjoyed doing so I hope everyone enjoys listening um, on that note however if there are anything else you you wish to hear on the show please reach out and let me know at sjp wrestling pod um there are plans to very very soon look back on some tna pay-per-views with a returning guest um, some old school wcw as well which is something i'm very much looking forward to um, but if there's any particular shows particular companies any of the old territory days and anything at all you'd like us to take a look at discuss review and so on with any of the any of the excellent guests i get on or perhaps you want to be a guest yourself or suggest make a suggestion for somebody to be a guest then please do so again you can contact the show at sjp wrestling pod on twitter and facebook um but that's it really okay thank you very very much again for pressing the play button and listening to the show i hope you enjoy part one of our little 1993 mini-series with Simon Quest. As always, thank you for listening. Hello, brother. This is NWA WCW Enhancement Talent, Randy Hogan, baby. Being in the ring with the Road Warriors, Vader, Abdul the Butcher, Midnight Express and all them guys. Let me tell you, it was dang rough. 
Bananas Rock is listening to Cyan Mags on that chain wrestling show, brother. What you gonna do when this pair of fools, Cyan Mags and chain wrestling, brother, runs wild on you? Simon Quest, welcome back to the SJP Wrestling Podcast. How are we doing, sir? Hello, hello, Simon. Thank you very much for inviting me back. I am absolutely fantastic. I cannot complain at all. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Cheers. Pretty good. Um, thank you for coming back. Honestly, it's, it's great. It's a, well, had a fantastic conversation with you first time round, um, talking about your starts in the business and, and the story you had. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. Um, and I'm really, really excited to be doing this, these next few shows that we're going to be recording over the next X amount of time um, together. Uh, a little bit of um, background information, I guess, for everybody listening. Mm. Um, uh, I've been speaking with Simon and various other wrestlers as well, like coming back on the show and looking back at particular matches or particular events they may really enjoy or look back on fondly. Um, hence why I've had Yestin on, uh, Yestin Reese on recently, looking at a certain match from the Royal Rumble 2000. I've had other wrestlers on, um, looking at a couple of old school WCW events. Um, and obviously the, the regular sort of uh, series of shows with David Eaton, looking back on the WWF in the year 2000, one pay-per-view at a time. Um, Simon suggested coming on and talking about WrestleMania 9, which is obviously from... 1993 a show that you're really sort of you're very fond of aren't you simon guilty pleasure absolutely love it yeah <laughs> <laughs> um as all from there we, we we got talking over messenger and so on about it being a guilty pleasure and that and that time in the wrestling business being something you look back on favorably uh, and we sort of came to a decision of well why don't we look back in a similar way to how i'm doing 2000 why don't we do something very similar with 1993 and sort of go event by event i guess pay-per-view by pay-per-view and that kind of brings us to where we are today doesn't it it does. It does. Absolutely. I thought it was a really good idea. Um, and originally, yeah, I, I suggested WrestleMania nine, um, just cause I've got a really crisp memory of it from my childhood. And, and I, I wanted to talk about that. Uh, but the more you, you suggested it and I reflected on it, I thought, you know, what? it's actually a really, really interesting period in wrestling. It's still, it is, it is absolutely considered a dark and tra- a transitional period in wrestling. You know, you, you're looking at Hogan, Hulkamania coming to an end. You look at WWF just throwing things at the wall, seeing what sticks. Uh, you've got the steroid scandal, so suddenly everyone's shrinking. Um, they're also trying to throw different characters, bring back legends, just trying to see what works. Um, and and it, and it is a bit of a hot mess, let's be honest. Uh, in in nineteen ninety three. That being said, you know it's it's uh, it, I, I, as a child. I didn't know any of that. Kayfabe was still still alive to me. You still had colourful characters, larger than life. Um, and there's some really iconic p- bits throughout the year that I can personally pick out. Um, and, and I think what you what you often find with any section of re- uh, uh, of wrestling history is sometimes the truth behind the you know the real life story behind the fictional story is often stranger and more fascinating. And 1993 is is no different to that. So I'm really excited to be here and uh, taking a closer inspection at it. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be good. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'll be honest, from my standpoint, I think we're going to end up looking back at this almost from maybe slightly opposite sides of the same coin potentially i mean i look back on this time frame as being something i watched when i was younger and i enjoyed when i was younger but as i got older it's been kind of soured for me i think with the research i've done for other shows um other articles i've written uh, and going back and watching a lot of this time frame 
and it not not to me not holding up as exciting as I remembered it when I was a kid. Um, obviously, sort of grumpy old man eyes, I guess, going mm-hmm. back and looking at looking at this sort of thing. So, I mean, there, there's some there's some absolute gold match wise. I mean, that's that's the big thing that always stands out for me is I always look at things literally from a match quality standpoint, and yeah. there is some really really good moments throughout 1993. Most of them, let's be honest, most of them are based around Bret Hart. Um, yeah. But then there's also a lot of awful stuff on te- on that television around this time. Um, I'm, I'm not looking forward to getting as far as Survivor <laughs> Series 93 in any way, shape or form. I can tell you that, Simon. But there we go. <laughs> um, today, we are starting off with the first pay-per-view of the year, as you should do. It makes sense, I suppose. And that is the 1993 Raw Rumble, um, originally broadcast on... January the 24th, 1993, um, and it was uh, coming from the Arco Arena in Sacramento, California. There was around 16,000 in attendance, which is basically a sellout for this arena. And as far as I can tell, the majority of them paid as well. I, I did. I tried to find out as much as I could on that. The figures are a bit difficult to get hold of, but as far as I can tell, the majority of these paid. Um, it, the, the first thing that strikes me when you press play on the WWE Network for this event uh, is the, the open to the show. It's very much... I mean, you talk about a, a company in transition before we actually pressed record. You said about this time, mm. very much a sort of transition for the company. The The intro is very much similar because in previous Raw Rumbles, we've had Vince McMahon yelling everyone's names down as, as screenshots of the of the competitors were on screen and the same with every pay-per-view effectively. You look at all the, you know, WrestleMania seven, um, WrestleMania eight, Royal Rumble, 91, 92, looking at the previous years, the survivor series as well, when he's running through the teams for survivor series, 91 and, and so on. It's very much uh, of that time. And then shortly after this, we're getting really cool video packages, opening up our pay-per-views here, sort of sandwiched in between those two times. We've got basically nothing, have we? The show just comes on air and, and they're in the arena. It does. You're absolutely right. And because um, this is the last the last pay-per-view that you have Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan on, isn't it? So the, mm-hmm. it really it is really is a bookend to what many consider and absolutely right to do so the golden era of wrestling. Now, it does go a bit wham, bam, thank you, mama, throws you straight in there. But I don't know. It, I, I, again, you say we're probably going to be looking at two sides of the, of the same coin here. For me personally, who um, is conditioned now to watch an episode of Monday Night Raw where you have to watch a 20 minute long promo um, before any action happens. Uh, and, you know, nothing wrong with that. It's got its own benefits. I quite like that. I quite like it. Let's just get on with it. Let's crack on. Yeah. I can see a crowd. I can see they're excited. Um, there's a bloke there that literally made a Royal Rumble sign out of felt tip pens, which is the most simple and um, you know, cute thing I think you could ever see. And it's just like everyone's excited to be here. Um, they, what they do, what they do lay on thick throughout the show. Um, and you alluded to a little bit why, why possibly they didn't do uh, the, the whole big intro, tell you who's on the card, who's part of the Rumble is is the star power was maybe lacking and we'll probably get into that a bit more especially when it comes to the rumble so there probably was a conscious effort like look, let's just get on get on get on with it um you know the opening match is going to be the the stein brothers against the uh, against the beverly um brothers it, it, and it's and, and you can tell that the, i mean steiner brothers made their debut what i think three weeks before this or, or a little while before this so they they know star power is 
a thing that they're going to have to contend with. So maybe that's all it was. It was just, look, let's just get into the action. Crowd's hot. Um, you know, yeah, okay, retrospectively, no polished package to get you hyped and you just get thrown into it. But no, I mean, it, it didn't bother me that much, Simon. No, no, fair enough. And you're right, the opener, uh, well, television-wise anyway, the opener is the Beverly Brothers versus the Steiners. Um, before this, there was a dark match where Doink the Clown um, defeated Jim Powers. I'm kind of glad I didn't have to sit through that, ah. I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> the Beverly Brothers and the Steiners go just over 10 minutes. Um, I love the Steiner Brothers. I am a huge Steiner Brothers fan. I liked the Steiners in uh, the NWA. I liked... Uh, going back, obviously, this is looking back at footage. I like the Steiners as, as solo guys when Scott was winning the, the TV title in the early 90s, literally just before jumping ship here. I think he was still TV champion in WCW when he when he made his WWF debut. Um, Rick obviously had a great singles career before Scott even debuted. And then you have their runs in Japan. They didn't spend long in the WWF, let's be honest, before going back to WCW again. But Watching them here, you look at them and you think, man, they just look fun. Especially Scott just looks fantastic, doesn't he? I forgot how much of a WCW mark you are, Simon. You did tell me that um, <laughs> the last time I spoke to you. So no, I don't actually, again, WWF fanboy here um, since since day one. So for me, this was my introduction um, to the Steiner Brothers. No, no idea who they were. But yes, oh my God, they look fantastic. Um, they are some big boys with some explosive power moves. Uh, and, and I think... Around this time, correct me if I'm wrong, there was a bit of a void left from Legion of Doom leaving. Uh, and, and they were the big sort of power tag team. And there's a few tag teams that make, make an appearance. I, th- I actually think this era, and this is maybe something I, I, I go into a bit more throughout the year, there is low-key kind of decent for tag teams in, in, in WWF, and there's a few about. But it also might be them just kind of throwing stuff at the wall again, just trying to find like a team that can fill that, that, that uh, road warrior Legion of Doom void that got that that left in the previous year, um, but no, the, Ste- the Steiners look fantastic. I, do you mean to tell me that you didn't want to talk about the Beverly Brothers, Simon? Uh, is that is, is are you saying that there's there's you, you weren't a fanboy of theirs from day one? You're oh. not going to whip out their work in Japan or WCW in the late nineties? Or the um, what were they? The the Wrecking Crew and the AWA? Yes, they were. Yep. Um, very interesting promos you can find on the WWE Network of, of them in the AWA being called the wrecking crew and behind them is a green screen of buildings falling down as they're cutting these promos. It's, it's quite humorous. Oh, looking back. It, it doesn't age well, yeah, but it's funny. Yeah. Um, the Beverly's that they were odd ones for me because I think now looking back as an adult, you can see the sort of what they were, can't you? You can see they were very much, uh, for want of a better term, entry level guys. So the Steiners yep. before the Steiners before going on to bigger and better things, the Steiners were going to come in and feud with the Beverlies. Um, I'm fairly certain the Legion of Doom did something similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nasty Boys did something similar. They all the Bushwhackers seems to be forever feuding with the Beverlies. They kind of come in and the, the Beverlies are almost like your entry level guys who who will take the newcomers on to, to put them over. I guess. Um, I'm a big fan of the purple ring gear, mate. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Fair play to you. Well, I used to run a football club um, many, many years ago, and my wife and I actually got purple and white kit for the team. And now looking back, I can maybe this influenced me without realising. I don't know. <laughs> well, there you go. That that is. I always saw them as um, just. They, they, you're absolutely right. Entry level heels in the, mm. in, the, in the tag team division. I think. I think they they absolutely. 
they're very good at what they do without potentially excelling it. But then maybe to your point, that was never really their job to excel in what they do. They were just there to put over the the the, the new team coming in. But I, I yeah, I did. I think I, I saw a list in in my research for this when I was just doing a bit of googling. I think WWE put a list out of like top five most boring tag teams in WWE history and and the Beverly's were in there um which is a bit harsh I know, I know and it's from, it's from WWE themselves but you know I, I guess whatever but but is um that they they were yeah they they're very vanilla I mean the the match itself was absolutely fine and there's a couple of absolutely terrifying moves that get delivered by the Steiners to the Beverly's in the match yeah. um, they were very much known for this as well weren't they you look at well, some of the matches in Japan and WCW as well, when they when they kind of they, they would just take liberties with people, just just literally because they could, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, they're, they're both collegiate um, wrestlers as well. It, 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 the thing with it now, I'm a trainee, uh, you know, wrestler myself. I can look at it, and I'm sort of looking at it from a bit of a different angle, and I'm like, Jesus! If if I was told I needed to take something like that, that is terrifying. Taking a step back a little bit, um, I don't suppose. You, have you ever seen the Steiners? They didn't do it in this match, but there's a move where they get um, the Rick puts an opponent on his shoulders, and Scott goes to the top rope and literally DDTs the man from Rick's shoulders to the floor. Now, I've seen um, they regularly do a bulldog off his shoulders, don't they? Yeah, they do. Um, yeah, but this was a DDT, and they did it in their first ever in their debut match in WF. And Scott Steiner just gets up there and he shouts something like DDT to this mf'er or something like that. And it's just, oh my god, it's just the most terrifying. Th- I'm sure it's safe, you know. I've, the, the the back body drop in this match uh, was a little bit. Oh my gosh, I don't know if that was intentional or not. The mm. Frankensteiner itself that, that oh, finished it. Oh my word! <laughs> I mean, I think you know, Bobby Heenan says something straight away like, "You do not get up from that." Um, yeah. it, it, it's like you you cannot um, you cannot help but respect it. So those two guys are terrifying. That being said, what um, again in my research when I was looking back at the Beverlys. So I was trying to find something interesting about them to reflect on without seeing like, because, you know, you want to do these guys respect the part of your childhood and stuff. Um, they had a finisher that was equally terrifying, which I, I totally forgotten about until um, I, I read about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course they did. And okay. that and, and it was um, you may remember. I think you'll probably uh, remember it because in the early days when the Internet was in its infancy and people were sharing gifts of wrestling moves that were terrifying and botches and stuff you know you had your triple h pedigree onto some jobber where he landed on yeah. his head and a few other different things the beverly brothers did have a finisher it was called the shaker heights spike the shaker heights spike and it was basically if you can imagine a 3d um where the, the one opponent off the ropes lifts him up by his legs straight in the air and the other beverly brother just literally grabs his head and just just spikes him straight down onto the canvas right. Yes. And he and he lands like yeah, like straight upright. It's and they only ever did it to jobbers. They only ever did it to enhancement talent. Um they never then they I never, suppose the argument there could be they only did it to the, the enhancement talent because they didn't win many matches, I suppose, true. against yeah. higher standard of, of opponent, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. In any case, blooming terrifying. As a trainee wrestler myself who's, you know, just plucking up the courage to take the, the 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 fundamentals at the moment, I was just oh wow, I did nothing but all for it. Fair play to them; they all walked away from it, and you know it all gave us something to talk about um, after. But going back to the match itself, in my opinion, very very classic good guys versus bad guys. They they did very well to get the reaction they did from the crowd, considering the Steiners were relatively unknown to the WWF fan base. 
Um, and I thought it got the show off to a great start. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It, it did the it did the purpose that it had, I guess. Like you say, it got the show off to a great start. The crowd were into it. Um, there was one moment, to be honest, where I actually felt maybe the crowd went into a bit of a lull. But then I think it was um, when Scott hit a almost like a side slam um, on one of the Beverleys. But it was just pure power he used. Mm. There was no, there was no sort of, I suppose, cooperation from his opponent. He literally it was just pure <laughs> power, and that the crowd, you can almost hear them all go, "Ooh!" <laughs> and, and they were back invested again. Um, Rick caught an opponent in a leap frog, and yep. oh, yep. See, you see people do that now. Um, uh, we were watching AEW the other night here, and I can't remember who was in the ring, but somebody caught their opponent mid leapfrog and turned it into almost a, almost like a very high, Arn Anderson type spinebuster. Yes. And my daughter literally sat there and went, "Wow, it is so impressive to see." Um, a couple of sort of more, I suppose, comical things that I want to touch upon: the the ring gear here that the Steiners are wearing. And the Beverly's as well, I guess. The sort of multicoloured neon yeah. patterns and so on. It just always reminds me of, of that era hugely. Things like, uh, and people, um, we have several listeners in the States who may not be familiar with this show. I'm not 100% sure. But we have things in the UK called The Chart Show on ITV. And you had all the, the neon computer graphics around when they were playing like the top 10 countdown of the music charts that week. And... Um, Saved by the Bell. The, the that's what I was going to say. Saved by the Bell. That's exactly what it looks like. That yeah. doesn't it? It looks exactly yeah, it like does. that. Um, yeah. Gorilla Monsoon at one point states he could have sold. Uh, his taxi driver told him he could have sold his ticket for fifty times what he paid. I, I think Gorilla's telling a few fibs there. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and Scott Steiner at one point, I suppose, in a really early sort of hint towards what he could, what he would potentially become later on. Um, yeah. He's in a Boston crab and starts doing press ups. That was just absolutely superb. <sighs> As a Steiner fan, I thought that's just so bad but brilliant. I love I love Steiner so much. In fact, I think we're probably what about um, we're not far off the or, or we just had the anniversary of the famous TNA thirteen years ago Steiner yeah, math. Steiner math. Yeah, uh, that was um, a few days ago this week. Yeah, I I, I, I make a point of i think listening to that at least once every couple of months because it's just, oh, it's just it's just it's just quality steiner is just uh, you, you he's one of those musty characters i mean we're, we're digressing here and we're talking about later steiner but steiner is one of those characters that if he's on the tv you have to watch you have to watch because you have got no idea what's going to happen what's going to yep. come out of his mouth even when he's a bit more old and decrepit and past some of the health issues that he's got put a camera on that man and you are, you are not turning the channel. You are not turning the TV off at all. You, you have to see what he's going to do. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, less said about his wrestling ability, maybe in the latter years, although yeah. he, had a, he had a bit of resurgence in TNA a little bit. I think I, I seem to remember him breaking out a top rope Frankensteiner in a lethal lockdown in like 2007 or something. And the crowd going nuts for it or something, but and he's um, still, he's yeah. still hugely, <sighs> Well, I don't know if it's just me, I don't know, but I remember Steiner, obviously, in, in this form that we're discussing today. Yeah. I remember Steiner in WCW tagging with his brother and, and the matches in Japan and so on. And then I remember them parting ways and Scott Steiner joining the NWO, the beginning of the whole Big Papa Pump character. That led leading to his world title reigns when yeah. WCW was, I suppose, effectively going down the toilet. Um, his return to WWE as the big pop-up pump character was awesome 
until the bell rang and they had to actually wrestle. <laughs> yeah. But everything before that, everything before the match at the Royal Rumble in 2003, from his return at Survivor Series 2002 up to the Rumble in 2003, was, was so well done. He looked incredible. Um, and then he made a comeback recently, a year, probably about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Well, it was before lockdown, so it must be a year and a half ago at least, I suppose. And as soon as that siren hit, as soon as that music hit, and, and this was for the, the new NWA Power show that was on mm. YouTube. And he came out as a surprise. And I literally had to shake the wife, call her downstairs, look, and play, rewind it and played her. And of course, she's looking at me like, I don't care. You know, <laughs> for me, it was a huge moment because Scott Steiner was back. It's so, you know. Iconic. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, it, I think it's, is it, I think I saw a clip of his son's wrestling now or his son gave yes. it a go. And, and um, I saw some, clip from someone in the crowd filming it and he's just as massive uh it's it, yeah and so he looks still very like involved. steiner doesn't he in the face he's got yeah. the same facials as rick and scott hasn't he yeah yeah um, ultimately the steiners pick up the win as, as you'd imagine with the frankensteiner from scott after some real stiff uh steiner lines i suppose as they're referred to mm. from rick um and then we we move on to Something that, as a kid in 1993, hugely, hugely excited me because I was always a Shawn Michaels fan. Shawn was always my guy. Even when he was the bad guy, Shawn was... I don't know what it was about him. I just always thought this guy was fantastic. Um, we have the Rockers finally facing off against each mm. other a year or so after the barbershop window incident. Um, so it's Marty Gennetti facing Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental Championship. Um, there's quite a bit of he said, she said, uh, and yeah. age nonsense around this particular match to do with who was drunk, who was <laughs> hammered the night before, yeah. who who made the performance not quite as good as it could have been. And it does almost seem like when you're watching this back, for two guys as talented as obviously Gennetti and Michaels are, it almost seems like they never really get out of third gear for me. No, I think you're absolutely right. And and firstly, with the barbershop thing, I, I, the video package, I was like, oh, yeah, do you know what? That just brings out so many good memories. Um, just just how well done. I think it was one of the finest bits of production WF did. That wasn't a match um, back in the day. So that was that's all the hype you needed. The, yeah, the video story. package. Sorry to interrupt. The video package I was going to comment on, actually. But the, the barbershop window thing, obviously, everyone's seen. Yep. But Janetti's return. Yes. Because yes. he got fired not long after. The, they were supposed to be going to WrestleMania 8, and it was supposed to be Janetti versus Michaels at WrestleMania 8. Marty did what Marty does and screwed up and got himself fired. Um, by this stage, they've hired him back again because I think he's been. I think he is the most rehired wrestler in WWF history because he's been fired like seven times, eight times, something silly like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, He's been fired and rehired and so on. Eventually, he comes back here. Um, and the video package shows it brilliantly. Sean is posing, taking his earrings off, flicking his hair around in, in his big mirror on an episode of a Wrestling Challenge or Superstars or whatever it was. That Sherry, his, um, his aide, I guess, is holding for him. And then the camera just moves slightly. And in the mirror, you can see Marty Gennetti looking over Sean's shoulder and Sean just sells it like he's seen a ghost. It's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's iconic again. I mean, this, this again, I, I know, I know I sort of fanboy this year, this, this era quite a bit, but that for me is, is, is again, one of my earliest Christmas memories of, of wrestling capturing my imagination. I didn't realize looking back until I again, rewatched it for, for the show 
that that whole feud lasted like a, a year. Like that whole stuck the payoff. This match is a mm. whole year. Um, it was it was crazy. But I do remember that the, the obviously the barbershop. I remember when it happened, and I remember, I remember the image of Mike Gennetti standing in the mirror and Sean just looking like he's seen a ghost. It was so well done, so so invested. It is, uh, and you know, Marty Gennetti. I, I don't, I don't want to be critical of the man because he's obviously a very talented wrestler, but he is—he never really progressed beyond generic babyface, right? Babyface moveset. Um, not really a lot of charisma about him. That being said, oh my god, Shawn Michaels was just such a, a slimy sleazeball at that time. As a kid, you just you were rooting for Marty so much. So yeah, I'm very excited for this match to happen when it did happen. The ba- yeah, <laughs> the backstage stuff. I uh, I, I knew because I, I knew Marty Gennetti was because uh, he gets fired, doesn't he? The night after this, I think. Um, yeah, something yeah. to do with this with this match and yeah, yeah, and, and and I think both of them come out since. I think Sean's admitted that he was um, maybe par- out partying a little later than he should have done the night before. And Marty might have been under the influence during the match. And, you know, it, I, I think if you watch it, you can see like Sean comes out and he's already sweating by the time before he's even like throwing a punch. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's hangover sweat. I could, if, if anyone could tell it, I, you know, I can. Um, and it's, uh, it, and yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just something really, really off about it. Something really off about it. I, I read in, um, about this match that apparently they had nailed this match, uh, at a few house shows in the in the weeks or days leading up to it so they've had like this this really choreographed but really excellent match ahead of its time that uh, a lot of the road agents and uh back, backstage people had rated and thought wow this is gonna they, they were trying i mean this is coming out of marty's mouth fine so you know take it with a pinch of salt but yeah reportedly reportedly they were suggesting it should it, 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 people were going to bat saying you need to put this on as main event um it's just so good and the blow off the story and everything I got the vibe rewatching this, and again, as someone now who's actually training in it, that this did feel like a very choreographed match, and it felt like the two of them were just obviously doing what they do very well to a higher standard than than maybe I'll ever get to. But it still felt like it was it was very rehearsed. It was almost a little bit like to a lesser extent, and I don't know if you know what I mean by this, but like um, Shane Man against AJ Styles at WrestleMania 33. It was okay, like, yeah. it was, let's get to one, let's get to one spot, let's get to one spot. And it was, but it wasn't like let's sort of like get to it and and let's see what happens. Like which some of the best guys in the business do. It was very much like there's we, we've got a we've got like a literally a list of everything we need to get to and do. That being said, it's still very good. <laughs> you know, it's still a very good match, and the crowd are, are, are exceptionally hot for it. And Shawn Michaels just sells like he sells, and it's 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 it's, it's, it's really encouraging or inspirational for someone like me who's trying to learn how to do it to watch him and what he does and how he works that works it i still really really enjoyed it um overall yeah, yeah i mean could, could have been better yeah i don't know again Shawn michaels is always my guy i i, I love watching Shawn yeah. in any, any era but with this match i almost feel like maybe it goes on a touch too long Think? And I think that is because it doesn't ever seem it's good but it doesn't ever hit the heights that you kind of want it to um, I mean, the, you're right. Janetti got fired not long after this because mm. um, Sean, the story apparently goes is that Sean was um, in a state from the night before. Um, he ran to Vince and basically declared Janetti was either drunk in the ring or hung over or whatever. Um, and that's why the match wasn't as good as 
the road agents were reporting back to Vince. Um, obviously, Sean trying to save his ass because he's, let's be honest, he was a bit of a snake, wasn't he? Yeah. And um, so Janetti was, you know, let go once again. And then apparently Mr. Perfect went to bat for Marty Janetti and said, actually, no, Janetti wasn't a state. I spoke to him. He was fine. Sean's the one who was a bit of a mess. And that's when Janetti got bought back a, maybe a month or two later. Yep. Um, and won the title from Shawn Michaels before dropping it back a couple of weeks later again. Um, and then inevitably being fired again, because that's just what Janetti does. Um, it's, <laughs> it's again, a lot of these stories I find out that this era in 93, before I sort of focused more on the podcasting side of things, I, I, I was mainly writing for, for websites and so on about wrestling and, I sort of had free reign, thankfully, because how great the sites were that I wrote for, as to what articles and what topics I covered. And I find myself going back to this era again and again and again. So, I mean, I've got an article out there about Bret Hart's first title reign, which this is slap bang in the middle of. I've got an article out there about Yokozuna's rise to prominence and his title reigns, mm-hmm. which is, again, this kind of era. And one of my favorite articles, I one that I'm really, really proud of, um, I've got an article about the whole Lex Express experiment. So all of those kind of mm. run through this year. So I've ended up doing a lot of research around this time and finding all this stuff out about Genetti. Because again, I've done an article on Marty Genetti's career. One that he actually commented on um, when, when people sort of put it forward to him. And no he way. said it, He's, yeah, he's, you know, he said it was very well written, but like many other articles, is not factually correct. And I've had a rant about this on a different show, so I'm not going to go into it again. But <laughs> the, the primary basis is, um, I if I've put anything in any of my articles, that has been checked and checked again. So if there's anything incorrect, and as I've put this out to Genetti, I've messaged him, I've um, uh, uh, all sorts of stuff. I've got, I've got in contact with him various ways, saying if there's anything wrong, tell me. We can discuss it. I'll change it or we can have a talk about it, or we can discuss things over email or messenger, whatever you want to do. And he's never, he's, he's seen all the messages. He's never responded once. So if he's that bothered about it, he, he would obviously get in contact, wouldn't he? But there we go. Um, ultimately, Sean retains his title here mm. with um, Sherry getting involved. She goes to hit uh, Sean with her shoe while Janetti is holding him. Mm. And as always, the baby face's grip just isn't quite tight enough. Mm. And <laughs> and Sean slips out of the way for Janetti to take the high heel shoe in the mush. Sean hits a lazy looking super kick, I guess. He hasn't quite developed the sweet chin music at this stage to pick up the win. And they, they then brawl backstage with Sherry being hysterical and Mean Jean telling her to get herself together and so on in only a way Mean Jean can. Um, and this was supposed to be heading towards WrestleMania nine. This was going to be the, the, the title change. Janetti's coronation, I guess was going to take place at WrestleMania nine, similar to how it was going to be the previous year of WrestleMania eight, but Mr. Janetti got himself fired again. So that was that. Um, again, I, I enjoyed this match, but it didn't quite hit the heights. I, I kind of expect, I guess for, for the two guys who can work that way, Simon. No, I, I didn't like the finish. If I'm being honest, if, if anything was going to show how, sloppy it potentially was even at that level but i'm only holding you know especially Shawn michaels by the high standards he would hold himself is there, there was a few yeah i mean there's the the back elbow sean almost like looks at the ref checks where he is throws an elbow at him 
that for that felt a bit, a bit iffy. Yeah, and then yeah, and then, and then yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the finish in general. I felt didn't really look great for Marty or or Sherry. Um, and I think like yeah, that lazy super kick for Shawn Michaels. Marty Jannetty turns himself inside out to try and sell it, and it's just like I, I mean, there's a reason you don't see many people turn themselves inside out off the back of super kicks because that just looked like he got kicked and then took a moment and then done his little corkscrew flip on the mat i didn't like the finish at all that, that, that that's me again retrospectively the 36 year old simon looking back at, at it um that being said I, I did actually i what i did like was the the bit backstage straight after where marty just comes out of nowhere and just like dives on top of Shawn michaels and they keep brawling always, always a bit of a mark for that sort of stuff felt real felt legit that, that <laughs> part of it um so yeah it always is perfectly acceptable but yeah like 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 with a lot of things in wrestling the, the stories behind the actual match probably were a bit more interesting than what actually happened in the middle of the ring. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what happens next is, in my opinion, uh, my, I suppose, uneducated outside looking in viewpoint is possibly the worst match of the show. Yeah. Um, we have Bam Bam Bigelow squaring off against the big boss man. Um, it's a very typical uh, big man match of the time, I guess. Um, Bossman has an absolute banger of an entrance theme, though, doesn't he? I love yeah. that tune so much. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, that's the hard times one, isn't it? Yeah. And then, yeah, and then um, it just. I mean, Bossman obviously he's, he's he was an exciting guy and he could do some great stuff. And Bigelow, you look at his work in ECW mm. um, and his his WWE work as well, even around this time. He's capable of some spectacular things, but here it just—it's just so slow. Um, it just never really, never really clicks for me. And then when I'm watching a match that is already relatively slow, and I see somebody put on a bear hug, I just completely lose interest. And mm. that's just me. That's just my own, my own sort of hang-up, I guess. But as soon as I see the bear hug come out, I'm just like, oh no. I, I reckon, yeah, I, I, the bear hug bit. I, I mean, I just, yeah, I, I'm not going to absolutely defend this match whatsoever because I thought exactly the same thing. Um, I've got no notes on it whatsoever. It's 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 a bit of a nothing match. But the bear hug there, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's just purely because they're two blokes in their mid thirties that probably haven't got the healthiest lifestyle. <laughs> they just needed a break in the middle of it. Um, yeah, I, I can sympathise yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, yeah, there's there's not a great deal to cover here. Um, Bam Bam wins with his. Uh, flying headbutt from the top rope which again looks spectacular for a guy that size doing that um yeah there's not a great deal here to to dive into i suppose no not um, really the, the only the only thing i would call, call out um and i know it gets called out a few times but it, and there's a few things we could probably go into on the show that wouldn't fly in 2021 um i don't know if you spotted it but big boss man around this era is uh running out with the confederate flag out on his sleeve um uh, okay and it's just awesome it's a bit like you know a bit, a bit yeah. odd to see in 2021 so we're coming out with that but yeah okay um what goes that... on down in cobb county georgia <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> so that that was a little bit okay iffy um and the other thing i will call out as well this is you know the eight-year-old simon who was watching at the time bam bam bigelow had a good look and i totally believed him and bought him as a um contender just just for the mere fact that every time my mum saw him and that tattooed head, she would just recoil in horror and think, oh my God, who would get their head tattooed? It was just such an impressive 
thing to see. And I mean, now, you know, every rapper who's a third of my age seems to have tattoos on their face and head some way. But back then that was just, that was a sight. Um, yeah. you know, that, that was, a, that was a spectacle in itself, but as an in-ring performance here, yeah, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, not not a lot to comment on or write home about, to be honest. And and again, I suppose I suppose that's really that's a really really good point with regards to his look and mm. how it works for him. Because I mean, we'll get to it in future shows. But King of the Ring '93, he's in the final. Yes, against Brett. And I remember as a kid, and that's a pay per view I've watched back time and time again. I still got the VHS tape here, believe it or not. It's it's one of my favourite shows. I'm really looking forward to getting to that one. Mm. Um, in the pay-per-views building up to this, and I suppose in the TV building up to this as well, you've not seen much of Bigelow to make him think, oh my goodness, he's he's this monster heel, he's a killer or anything like that. But at King of the Ring, you genuinely believe Brett's in danger when they get to the final. And I suppose that, that goes for his look, his attitude, the tattooed head, as you say. Because it's not just a tattoo on the head. His head is covered in flames. Yep. It's such a striking visual. You know, it's I'm really looking forward to getting to that show. Um, but as we mentioned, Brett, uh, after this this sort of ten minute dross we've just had with Bam Bam and the Boss Man, there's a little light at the end of that long turgid tunnel, wasn't there, Simon? Because we had the uh, WWF title match shortly afterwards, and this to me was by far and away the best match on the show. Ah, oh, just 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 two mint talented workers in the prime of their careers. You know, it, 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 Bret Hart working his arse off to just justify his position on the card. Um, and Razor, again, Razor, again, hadn't been about for that long, I don't think, by this point, but no. he was he was deceivingly huge. He was a big guy. And, um, and then, again, maybe some potentially down to the steroid scandal at this time, when in an era when other physiques were shrinking somewhat around this time. Razor was, was an imposing figure. But in, in full-on... Uh, Scarface, Tony Montana mode at this point, but he was oh, yeah, the two of them, colourful characters again love it, very 90s um, captured the imagination very very good bad guy, very very good fighting champion um, You know, I mean there's probably a wider discussion you could have about Brett and his uh, legitimacy as the guy at this point and, and whether it worked or whether it didn't but, it's, but as an actual match and again as someone who's now a student of the game I took a lot just from watching this match myself. Just uh, there was just so things that were just so crisp. The selling was fantastic. The story was fantastic. Um, I mean, that being said, all of it. My favourite bit of the whole match was um, Razor. Uh, well, Brett doing his usual take off the shades, give it to the kid in the front. Then Razor just walking over there as if to say, uh, "What's going on here?" <laughs> Lent over at the kid and just like threw the toothpick straight at his face, <laughs> and it's just like, "Oh man, the audacity of it is like, oh, what a baddie, what a baddie." Yeah. Um, I mean, it meant quality. Razor here, Scott Hall. He, I, I think you got. I think it's easy to forget just how big a man this Huge. fellow is. Yeah, because obviously the the, the main. The main visual, I suppose, people look back on Scott Hall or, or Razor Ramon with is is the NWO. That's with that Nash. Was, yeah, yeah, and, and Nash is seven foot. Hogan is six eight and a half or whatever he yeah. may be. Scott Hall's legit six seven. Yeah, but he he looks the smallest out of that group. And then, of course, you added the giant to the uh, the NWO, and he was wrestling guys like Luger. Um, he was wrestling guys like. <sighs> 
uh, all, all these monsters Sting and so on in WCW. This guy's an absolute giant. He's a huge monster of a man. And I think if you were to, if you were to sort of put together somebody that you would tick boxes for as being a stereotype, a stereo, stereotypical wrestler of this era should look or could or how you'd want them to look. I think Scott Hall ticks all those boxes. Yeah, he's got a great physique, so. great height, yeah. great look, you know. Um, and he just, the way he just struts out to that music and just everything about the whole gimmick. I mean, he, he was only in the WWF at this stage for a few months. He was involved at Survivor Series 92 um, with the tag match there with Flair and uh, Savage and Mr. Perfect, I believe it was. Yep. yep. Um, he was involved there. He's had all the vignettes of him driving around um, Miami or wherever in these cars and not paying for his meals and just basically being a bit of a prick to everyone he comes across. Um, so when he appears on television, you already hate the guy. Yeah. And then he's he's got this incredible finisher with a razor's edge or the outsider's edge, as it went on to be called in later years, where this six foot seven man is holding his opponent above his head in a similar way to Lance Archer does nowadays, yep. I guess, if, if people want to point a reference if they've never seen it before. And just absolutely fantastic. And and this is helped, I think, a little by Brett as well, because Brett's not a small fella, but by wrestling standpoint he's not huge he's what's boss brett six one six two potentially at a push mm. Mm. so it i think this makes you really do feel like brett as the champion going in and the and the, the, the assistance of the commentary as well stating this saying brett's the underdog here it really sells the story before before the match even begins i think the commentators are during this contest i think do an absolutely fantastic job they do i, I what was weird to me when i first um reminding myself what the card was was i thought oh yeah razor he had a world title match and i can't remember many more to be honest and then it no. shocked me even more that it was too, uh, only a few months into him actually being on the scene and um so it, it did very well to be a believable threat on at that level so soon to where he where, where he was but yeah it's it's um you know legit tough guy looked the part loved him yeah, yeah, brilliant stuff. And the match, again, like I said, this this is by far and away to me the best match on the show. Um Brett works Razor's leg early on. Yeah. Um he, he's kicking and stomping it and he, he a figure four you see it as well. Um obviously he's setting up for the sharpshooter, to which then Bobby Heenan on commentary adds like an extra an extra level to this by saying he doesn't know if Brett can put on the sharpshooter because how long Razor's legs are. And I just think little comments like that by your commentary team are, are absolutely superb because it just adds so much. It's such a simple thing to point out, but it added yeah. so much to the story. And this is why Bobby and Gorilla are just so good, isn't it, at everything they do. And I, I think... I think the other thing, the other good thing with Bobby is he does respect, uh, like he's always very anti the face, obviously, but he still respects skill and talent and everything. And, um, he can put people over when he too, but just, just a fantastic story to tell. But the thing I did read about, um, that sharpshooter finish was, I think it's only one of two times Brett's won with it on a pay-per-view or something in pay-per-view main event or well, a pay-per-view, a pay-per-view match for the WF title. It's only, he's only, he's only won it twice throughout all of his reigns, all of his career WF. He's only been able to win with it clean twice. And this was, this was one of them, um, which oh, is okay. The other one, then I can think of another one straight off the top of my head. That would be the aforementioned survivor series 92 when he forced Shawn Michaels to tap out. 
Yeah. Um, that was champion versus champion then. Sean was IC champion and Brett beat him clean with a sharpshooter in the main event there. I'm just thinking now, he obviously didn't win the t- title at nine. King of the Ring, he wasn't in the title picture. SummerSlam, he wasn't. Survivor Series, he wasn't. War Rumble 94, he wasn't. WrestleMania 10, he was, but didn't win his matches using the sharpshooter. Um, SummerSlam 94 was the cage against Owen. I suppose, yeah. That, 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 just literally running through those initial first couple of years, I won't bore the people listening by going any further, but sort of going pay for you by pay for you just off the top of my head. Yeah, there isn't many opportunities for for that to sort of have happened at all, is there? No, so so a rare sight. It's it's um it's a, it's a, it's a rare old finish for him. But um but yeah it's it, Brett at, at, throughout this era is really, really just trying to prove himself as was it a fighting champion, isn't he, at this point where he mm. just wants to he he just wants to defend the title as much as possible put his name, add legitimacy to it. Unfortunately, there wasn't a long list of contenders for him at this time. Um, no. But, um, but, you know, we can, we'll probably get into the rumble when we talk about Flair and a bit more like that. But it's, uh, yeah, but it, the match was quality. Worthy main event and a nice pace. Never bored at any point. Really good. Yeah, and, and the thing for me is it made sense. It made sense as a sporting contest I suppose if, if you want to put it that way a combat sport I suppose he, Brett was working the leg to go for his move that has served him so well in the past um, Razor takes control when Brett slides ribs first into the ring post he's obviously in pain so Brett is then uh, sorry Razor is then working the ribs and the torso with punches kicks and then an abdominal stretch and so on um, and I'll be honest also I'm going to contradict myself hugely here Razor puts on a bear hug here, and I didn't mind that one bit because it told the story. And I remember that abdominal stretch. Sense. Yeah, and I remember that abdominal stretch. Now you said it because didn't Brett like do a really clever reversal for a bit? Yeah, and like turn into the yeah, I just love stuff like that. Like te- excellence of execution for a reason. Exactly. Did you buy um, him at this point? Did you buy? A, a, so you're you're a man who's kind of the same age ish as myself. So you you were very much uh, active. Did you buy him as world champion at this point? I'd be interested to know, Simon. In '93, I had just turned 12. In yeah. fact, at, at this, I was I was 12 in February. So at this point, I'm actually still 11, just. And Brett was my champion. I loved Brett Hart. Um, I didn't mind Hogan from the previous year or two that I was watching, but Brett, I always really enjoyed his work with the IC title. Um, yeah. Obviously, the, the match with the Bulldog at SummerSlam 92 stood out to me as a kid because it was just obviously the Bulldog winning and it was so such a big event and so on. I just thought Brett looked so cool with the leather jacket and the glasses and that dun-dun-dun-dun music and everything. So Brett winning the world title, for me, that was great. I, I bought him as my world champion. But at the same time, I wasn't buying tickets. I wasn't buying pay-per-views. I wasn't, I wasn't the person spending money to see Brett as a champion. Obviously, there were plenty of people who didn't quite buy him. Um, again, I'll, I'll come back to the article I wrote about Brett. A good year or two ago, it came out. I actually, I actually refer to this as Brett's forgotten title ring because he held the WWF title, what, five times, potentially? Yeah. And he held the WCW world title as well. But to me, this title reign is the one that's remembered the least, and it's his first one. Um, and I think it sort of backs up what you were saying about having a lack of real quality opponents. I mean, he won it in October on a house show, effectively yeah. TV taping, by beating Flair. Um, he wrestled Shawn Michaels 
And you never really believed Sean was going to beat him at Survivor Series in 92, which is the next pay-per-view. This is the first time to me he's had a real genuine threat as an opponent in this early title ring. And then the next pay-per-view, he's dropping the belt. Mm. So that's yeah. kind of it. Done. Mm. You know, it's mm. and in, in, in the TV tapings, a wrestling challenge or whatever they may well have had back in that time, um, or the very early days of Raw, potentially. When did Raw start? That was January 93, wasn't it, I think? Um, you had... He was facing the likes of Virgil uh, and beating Virgil, the sharpshooter. And the adage was that you kept hearing people say Brett was a fighting champion and eventually he's going to run out of steam because he's wrestling too often. He doesn't say no to any challenger. But you never really felt he was going to drop the belt until there was threat here from Razor, but then until WrestleMania 9, you never really felt he was going to drop it at all. So I suppose that maybe undermined his title reign, potentially? I don't, this, this is weird, isn't it? Because retrospectively, God, you just see, see how good he was. And even now, I can appreciate how cool he looked as well. And he looked the part. His jacket, the glasses, crowd going nuts. So he's clearly doing something very, very right. Um, but he was just never blockbuster for me. That, and, and I think I knew that as a kid as well. Like, I, 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 I liked him. I really liked him. I think I, you know, I might have had a poster or so on my, on my wall, but I still had more, you know, at this point, I still had Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan everywhere, you know, and, and, and I think my wrestling Hasbro championship belt was firmly around the waist of Hogan by this point um, still. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's odd. It's, it, he just, it, it just, it just, he never felt must-see. That's the strange thing mm. to say. It's a strange thing to say, but my eight-year-old self watching it, it was... I like Brett, and and I, the ones I remember getting really excited about, as a, a, a lot of people will from this era, was obviously the match against Bulldog and Wembley, um, and a match against uh, Mr. Perfect, which I can't remember, I think that was another SummerSlam as well, potentially. Yeah, SummerSlam uh, 91. Yes, that was it. I, me- I remember getting very excited for those two matches. But, um, yeah, it, it, was, it was really strange. Like, I, I love it now. I can appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. Got into it. Brilliant. But, yeah, at, at the time, it was... I mean, we're going to talk about WrestleMania Nine at some point, but it's. It, I was very excited when Hogan returned, just and and that's probably to your point. Yeah, maybe Brett didn't do it do it for us at that point, but who knows? Still, as far as the match goes, he felt he felt like a superstar here at least. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, as an adult yeah. looking back, as I said earlier in earlier in the show when we first started talking, the the in ring action, the actual wrestling itself, is what is most important for me now. Yes. Um, I don't care if, and I, I know some people don't like this guy being mentioned or anything like that, but it is what it is. I don't care if Chris Benoit had no personality. The guy was fantastic in the ring. I'm not interested that modern day, shall we say Cesaro, people question his charisma or whatever. The guy's incredible in the ring. That, for me, is what makes up someone I want to see. Now, Brett, when the bell rings, incredible. Can't fault the guy, as shown here by having easily the best match of the night. He looked at everything he did was so legit, so believable, just absolutely brilliant. But the charisma just wasn't there. And perhaps as a youngster, that's what made it difficult for us to fully invest because as a kid, I didn't know that I wanted to see hold for hold stuff, technical mm. scientific mat wrestling as a kid. I was drawn in by the bright colors, the music, these interviews Larger than life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now that's potentially why, my mum I've mentioned it quite a few times on the show my mum thinks it's really really funny even to this day because as a child I always liked the bad guys I was a big Rick Rude fan um, I was a big Shawn Michaels fan obviously as I've mentioned and I've always been a big Flair fan but I'm wondering if maybe they were, were more appealing to me in this era than Brett 
because even Sean, who was he'd only been a singles wrestler here for a very short period of time, was very much finding his feet. Even Sean was charismatic and had a certain look and moved a certain way to his music and so on. Perhaps that had something to do with how I felt. I'm not sure. Mm. Yeah, it, interesting. Interesting. Um, you say you're liking the bad guys when you're a kid. Oh God, you know what? I used to. I used to know. I had a few friends who used to like all the bad guys throughout every era wrestling that was like a kid and i was like how could you like the bad guys you're a child you know is it, you, <laughs> believe in the magic you muggle you know it's this uh, yeah um but yeah so fair, fair play to you for having that sort of appreciation at, at that age for me purely yeah it was the monsters were monsters and and the the, the white meat baby faces were the guys you had to root for um oh yeah i mean don't yeah. get me wrong it wasn't mm. it wasn't a case of all the heels were were like my gang or anything like that. Um, <laughs> it was very select individuals. Um, like I said, Rick Rude. I thought I don't know what it was about Rude. I thought that maybe it was his mustache. I don't know. Maybe that impressed. <laughs> maybe that impressed me as a ten year old. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> but Rude was awesome, and Flair with the robes and I mean everyone knows how great Flair was, you know. So and then and obviously Sean. They were the main three. Um, stunning Steve Austin in WCW. I enjoyed him as well. Before obviously he jumped ship, became the ringmaster and so on. Yeah. Uh, I liked him as well, but these guys I'm talking about, especially the likes of Austin, Rude, and Michaels, I saw them regularly wearing championship gold. Sure. Now they at the time it didn't matter to me that it wasn't the world title. You know, Austin uh, in this era you were getting WCW worldwide <laughs> on ITV. Austin was TV champion for a huge portion of the time. Rick Rude was United States champion, and you saw those on your weekly television on ITV on a Saturday afternoon. Michaels was the IC champion. Maybe that was something that sort of brought me towards them because other other bad guys, you know, the likes of the likes of Yoko Zuna or Giant Gonzalez, who will come to shortly, and you know, these mm. these these other heels, I didn't like them in the slightest. I was all about Hogan kicking their ass, you know. It was <laughs> yeah, no fair play to you. Fair. I mean, all I can say is I was the markiest of marks, and I flare. Oh my gosh, like, I just despised him. I despised him so much. It's and you know, again, it goes back to retrospective grown-up eyes look at what you view um uh, you know viewing back now it's like you know we'll get to the rumble in a minute and uh, he's 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 not in there for anywhere near as long as he should be and it annoyed me he, like as an adult it annoyed me but back then yeah i mean i was i was bouncing with the rest of the crowd when he gets eliminated it's just yeah. it, it didn't do it didn't do it for me i was the the work to the work the marcus the marcus and around this period and i loved it yeah I mean, ultimately, um, Brett wins the retains. Sorry, he wins the match, but retains his WWF title um, with the Sharpshooter. Um, th- there's a great sort of counter to, I guess, what you might call a knuckle lock or a test the strength here into a sunset flip, which then Brett turns into the Sharpshooter, and that sort of stuff is just bloody brilliant. That's 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 what I'm here for. You know, that that ticks the boxes I want ticked. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. There's a similar bit earlier in the, in the uh not quite as technical as that but still i don't think i'd seen it since where um razor put brett up on the top turnbuckle to presumably to do something like a back body drop uh from up from up top and brett sort of kicks him and you know razor uh, like sort of stumbles a bit and brett does like a backwards roll down his back and turns it into a back body drop of his own um yeah. and a little bit a little bit and, and you know razor goes it, it his long lanky legs are just in the air seemingly for ages when it, when it does it it's just yeah I, all, all about that it's beautiful yeah match of the night there match of the night and and brett to me is the man of this pay-per-view i'm not gonna lie he he's the one who he, he's the star of this show for me i'm not i'll be honest yeah. um before we get to the rumble, however, we have two moments that I think really 
one of these would have been fine. Having two of them back to back right here, I think knocks the whole atmosphere and uh, all the air out of the arena that Razor and Brett have just put on this great match. People are excited. And then you have the unveiling of the narcissist Lex Luger, um, which again, on its own, fantastic. It sets the story for Lex Luger coming to the WWF, uh, this big star from down south, and he looks incredible. And then we have um, Julius Caesar and Cleopatra making their declaration, I guess, um, of the winner of the Rumble going to Caesar's Palace for a title shot, etc., etc. And again, if that was just before the Rumble on its own, I think that would have been fine. But the fact that you put them both back to back at the same portion of the show, to me, really just it just trashes any momentum you've had. I mean, you've had a, a decent tag match to open up. The Janetti Michaels match, it sort of stumbles here and there for me. It doesn't quite hit the, hit the heights that I, I'd hope it would. Bam Bam and the Boss Man just stank the place up. And mm. then Razor and, and Brett almost saved the show to this point. They've done this, they put on this wonderful title contest. And then all the momentum that they've built for you is is just gone in these two segments. What do you think, Simon? Firstly, um, I, I think you're right. I think the Rumble match is a long match in itself, in, in especially this one. It goes longer than I've remembered. So I suppose the live audience is probably grateful for the break in a way. I, I know I, I've been to plenty of events myself, and you know, you're sort of grateful for that sort of intermission. I think you're right. Definitely about Lex, the the, the narcissist debut. I, I Lex was a much better promo than I remembered, especially here. I, th- I thought it was it was really good. I, um, to be honest, it's like proper sets the stage who he is. Um, totally bought into it. Was building up to the match with Perfect as well. Uh, re- re- really got into it. And then yeah, I, the, the, to be honest, the one that yeah, the one that dragged was the whole Caesar Cleopatra thing. Totally unnecessary. I, I felt. I, I get it's the first rumble, isn't it? It's the first rumble where the winner goes to WrestleMania, and now they're trying to get across that this is a prestigious thing. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still very hokey. And I know, I, I, I know, I've said all throughout this podcast. I love the campus Christmas stuff. I love the colourful colours. I love the big characters and all that. But yeah, that this was this this probably went on too long for me personally, and didn't didn't need to happen. And you know, the, the bookend, the Royal Rumble, you see it. You know, they come out again, and it's a whole big thing. And I think the crowd had enough by that point, and, and sort of left early as well. But yeah, it 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 was jarring, I I guess. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe in, in a way, I, they, you did have this phenomenal contest um, between Brett and Razor. You did need to sort of like calm things down a little bit and make sure the crowd wasn't too burnt out for, follow it so it probably had its its peaks and tr- you know its, its pros and cons rather uh, for, yeah. for why it happened definitely yeah it makes sense yeah sort of a uh, go grab a beer go to the toilet go to the merch stand kind of thing if you want to I suppose yeah exactly um, on the topic of Luger he looked incredible didn't he let's be honest oh, I mean, the, yeah. the guy the guy I mean again I, I know I keep harking back to it and you, you're right to call me a WCW mark that's exactly what I am and um <laughs> But Luger and WCW looked incredible. But here, my God, the guy looked insane. Um, and you're right, his promo here came across really well. And I'll be honest with you, you're saying you don't remember Lex being a good promo. And you're right remembering it that way. He was never... Um, Known for it. The, yeah, he was never, never particularly a charismatic guy. Lex, I think, here... From what you hear about the guy nowadays, completely different. Apparently, the guy he's, he's found God, he's changed his life, and everyone says now how pleasant he is to be around and so on. Luger, back in the day, so many people you hear in shoot interviews and in and and so on, 
talk about Luger being quite conceited, quite arrogant, quite almost had a sense of entitlement, like he deserved things that he didn't necessarily had got to that stage for yet. Um, and from what I can gather, when Lex was talking about himself, then he was very, very passionate on the topic. So perhaps that's why this this promo did come across so well because Lex is talking he's about just himself. Being himself. He's just yeah. being himself. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, according to, you know, again, various shoot interviews and other podcasts and, and Lex himself has actually said in an interview not too long ago that I saw online um, saying, yeah, the narcissist character was actually quite close to his real life um, persona at the time. That's what he was. He was, he was that way. So perhaps that's why he's coming across as passionate or as, as good on the mic as he was. And uh, sorry, Bobby Heenan as well. Just brilliant. Apps. The guy is just a genius. Show me more of the leg slacks. Oh, look at the back. <laughs> yeah. Oh my word. The guy yeah, I mean, is uh, so great. He is. And you know, all the while Lex is doing that floppy leg muscle, thigh muscle thing. And it's just like, ah, oh, you know, just, yeah, just say, so, yeah, I don't like him. Get him off my TV. Proper baddie. But it is mad to think we're not actually that far away from the the Luger push, are we at this point to be um, the replacement for Hogan? No, I'm not, no. It's, 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 it's we're talking months, aren't we? It's, it's not that well, far away. This is to... um, the 24th of January. Yeah, and it's the July 4th event on the battleship where Luger steps off the helicopter and body slams the Godzilla. Yeah, the Stars and Stripes Challenge, I think they called it, and you can that. actually watch that on the network. The whole three and a half hour show you can, can you find really? on the network, wow. and you can see American footballers, basketball stars, and so on trying to body slam Yokozuna for three bloody hours. And yes, I have sat through it, and no, it's not worth it. <laughs> it's uh... <laughs> wow, but we'll come to that very soon, very soon indeed. Mm. Um, that takes us up to the Rumble match itself then um, as Simon mentioned it's the first year the now regular prize of a title match at Wrestlemania is up for grabs uh, I think this is I mean the Rumble match itself is a brilliant concept but having the winner get a title shot just adds so much prestige to it I suppose in a way it takes away the possibility of certain people winning maybe but on the other side of the coin you know, you look back at the Rumbles before this. Hogan was winning them anyway, and so on. So, you know, you're always going to get top guys in that slot. I, I think this this premise of Rumble winner goes to WrestleMania it is genius. I've got a theory, and I think most people agree with me when I say it. There is no such thing as a bad Royal Rumble. I am an absolute mark for the match type. There's probably an air of era that I'm more excited to for the, for the Royal Rumble every year than I am uh, for WrestleMania. It's, it's always that feeling of what you're going to see. It's something special, really captures the imagination. I think it's universal to all ages. You could stick a toddler in front of it. It's a difficult. It's, it's an easy concept to to grasp. What's going? What's happening? What needs to happen? Um, at the same time, it's it's, it's visually appealing. I, I love Royal Rumbles. Um, in general but yeah the, the adding the, the Wrestlemania thing it just feels weird that there was ever a time that it wasn't that, that wasn't the case to be honest mm-hmm. um, and you talked about like of course you think that it excludes certain people from uh, from from, to, from realistically winning it when you when you're viewing it again going back to you talk about Bobby's brain just being absolutely fantastic at what he does and he comes out with some absolute gems in this rumble he was because it was such a new concept at that point. He was very good at pointing out, like, "Oh my god, this person could win, or that person could win." And, yeah, 
And at the time, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I think Coco Beware is one of them. And he's like, can you imagine if Coco Beware goes to WrestleMania? And Berserker. like, uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. And, and, and Gorilla's like, well, yeah, what would be so wrong with that? And he was like, it's not Ric Flair. It's just like, it's just mint. But yeah, I, I, this one had that air of excitement. But again, they really do lay on throughout of it on, comment, on commentary about, they keep talking about how, oh my God, this is a who's who of wrestling. This is an instant classic. Look at these names. Who could it be that comes out? The reality of it was that they really had to overcompensate for it because a lot of the big names uh, were, weren't there. And the mm. poster, I think, is one of the one of the things people point to as an interesting fact about this, this pay-per-view. The, the poster is, um, after you've got kind of massive Brett and Razor faces, um, advertising the main event. You've got then got like a, a collage of other wrestlers who are supposed to be portraying the Rumble, and then you've got like Ultimate Warrior in there. You've got British Bulldog in there. You've got like Rush. Kamala in there. Crush, yeah. You've got quite a few people in there, and it just goes to show that there really was. They felt at least a lack of star power, and then they didn't do themselves any favor because they made some decisions like getting rid of Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect pretty early on, which I didn't didn't quite understand really. Mm. But it's um, it's it's a rumble of two halves, as most rumbles are, absolutely. Um, but yeah, there's no such thing as a bad rumble. Would you would you agree, or do you feel like there's some stinkers I, out I, there? No, I I agree. There is no such thing as a bad rumble. However, I do think just purely by the nature of the beast, by comparison to to their their the rumble peers, I guess you have better ones than others. Definitely. And this is what's really interesting for me with regards to looking back on 1993 with you, there's so many of these, I suppose, countdown articles or countdown videos and so on, talking about the greatest or the worst Raw Rumbles, the greatest or the worst WrestleManias, and etc., and, and etc. Et the 1993 Raw Rumble always charts very, very high in these worst Rumbles of all time lists. And I was racking my brains yesterday, coming up you know thinking about this this recording today with you um trying to think of a rumble that was worse than 93 and i really struggled i really struggled um and again i'm not saying that that makes this a bad match because it's the raw rumble and it's great it's the raw rumble you know mm. but in comparison to and i suppose the big one for me is you look at the year previous 92 is my favorite that rumble is the, the problem time. Yeah, and, and it's a lot of people's, and it's widely regarded as the greatest Royal Rumble of all mm-hmm. time as well. So that is quite a standard to live up to, right? Yeah, and then you look at the following year, you look at 94, you had... The finish, yeah. Brett yeah, and, Lex, and, yeah, and you had more star power in the match. You, you mentioned two there, Brett and Lex. Mm. Um, but, but the whole Rumble that year felt more special. I don't know why, but it just felt... And even going back and watching it, it feels like there's more of a special side to it. I suppose maybe because you know where you're going at WrestleMania 10. Now you're looking back in hindsight. I don't know. But I mean, this rumble, you saying it's a rumble of two halves. You're absolutely spot on because if I just run through a, a few of the entrants in the first sort of 10, 15, shall we say, Ric Flair's coming out at number one um, to Bobby Heenan yelling, you know, how, how shocked and horrific this is. It's not fair to Flair and so on. Um, Bob Backlund comes out at number two. So we've got two former world champions there. Backlund at this stage, obviously, he's not got the star power he maybe once had in the late 70s, early 80s. However, it's still a guy who held the world title for best part of six years. Um, 
Ted DiBiase, we all know how great he is. Jerry Lawler, you know, a legendary name. Mr. Perfect, um, The Undertaker comes out at 15. And after that, as you run through the second half of, of the Rumble, you, you get guys, Yeah, you've got a lot of you've got a lot of halves of tag teams. You you've got well the repo man is there for a start. Uh, Owen Hart, okay, we know how good he went on to be, but at this stage he's just one half of uh, a tag team with Coco Beware. You've got Earthquake and Typhoon, two halves of a tag team. Um, Fatu, one half of the, the Head Shrinkers tag team. Um, Terry Taylor came out. T- Terry Taylor in the WWF in 1993. I did not remember that at all until he came on my television. That stunned me to see Terry Taylor in the WWF in 1993. I thought he was, I thought he was elsewhere at this stage, but there we go. Um, but I, I t- completely agree with you, Simon. You look at the names that come out in the first, say the first 15 then, so we'll call it exactly half. The likes of, as I mentioned, of Flair, Backlund, Diviossi, and so on. And then you look at the second half, you've only really got Savage and the eventual winner that maybe stand out on the same level as the likes of Perfect and Flair, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I, it, the, and what I think, because it shows, I think the crowd sort of start fizzling out by the end of it as well. But, but Yeah, that's a really, out. you're spot on. Yeah, that, you're spot on with that observation. That's a really good point. But, but the thing is, with, I mean, Flair and, and, and so... Bob Backlund's an, an interesting one. Now, I, 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 we had a very brief conversation before we started about this like whole era and period period of what wrestling and WF was and what they were trying to do. I genuinely believe this was WF trying to throw anything at the wall just to see what could stick following mm-hmm. Hogan's departure. So you had the new stars, you had the wacky stars, and this 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 Royal Rumble is almost like a really good um, microcosm of of that of what they're trying to do. Um, you had like Max Moon, who just looked absolutely ridiculous, um, but that he was okay. Can we go with these really crazy, funky characters? Was or at this stage? Sorry to interrupt. At this stage, was Max Moon still Conan at this stage, or was he Paul Diamond? I don't actually know. There was a really, really awesome move, which which was very Conan esque that he did at one point, where I think it was to Lawler or something. He he sent him off into the corner. He did this like weird like spin kick into the back. I thought, Ooh, I, mean, I, I I don't know. I don't know who was under the mask mm. at this point. I don't think it really mattered to be honest because yeah. the character was blooming awful. But you had yeah. you, th- so you had that one side of the spectrum. Then you had. Yeah, you had your giant Gonzalez, which we could speak about in a minute. Who was like, okay, with the larger in life, big characters. Do we, do we want monsters? Is that what we want? And then you also had this Bob Backlund just showed up, you know. And I remember as a kid, I remember as a kid was not a fan of Bob Backlund at all. And this was even before the yeah heel that went on to feud with Bret Hart and everything. I just was not on board for this at all. I, that's not what I was watching it for. Um, he, he, I, I'm obviously from the UK. I have no idea the pedigree of this man. I was eight years old. Um, his funny ass and about in the ring just didn't didn't do anything for me. They they go to bat for him on commentary quite hard to sort of sell him as an absolute contender. And again, this is where I go back to Bobby Heenan showing respect for for the guys, even though he's he's also kind of putting them down at the same time. Um, he talks very early on in the Rumble when it's DiBiase, Flair, and Backlund in there about how the pedigree of the Rumble again trying to. Big up how many stars are in here. You got Flair, who's a two-time champion. Backlund, who's a uh, one-time champion, or and, and Ted DiBiase, who um, is it, it was nearly champion or something. So he's obviously got the pedigree, but at the same time, it's just oh, he's just an absolute nothing character. Like there's nothing to him for, for me and my eight-year-old um, mind watch, watching this thing. So I don't know. He, I, I was I was never a fan. I, ne- I never got on board. Um, Heenan does come out with an absolute gem though, 
with Backlund, where he says something like, um, can you get arrested for beating up the elderly? I think when someone's, <laughs> someone's like destroying Backlund, I thought that was quality. And he also came up with something else, which was along the lines of, oh, I, but Backlund's been in there for 25 minutes. And uh, I think Gorilla just said that. And then, and then Heenan follows up with, oh, I hope I look good, that good when I reach 40 or something like that. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, absolutely mint. But um, there was but, yeah, another but, one as well, wasn't there? So when, when, um, when Backlund started very, very later on, this is because he, he's in the match for a very long time, isn't he? Um, when he says later on in the match, they go Backlund's boots were up to his knees when he began or something like that. <laughs> that just yeah. absolute gold. Yeah, he, he absolutely meant. But yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for that, it would have annoyed me Backlund being in this match for this long at this point. I just didn't didn't get it. But again, it was WF trying to throw things at the wall and just just see what stuck. I felt. We, we, do you a fan of Backlund back in this period? Um, Not massively. I, I almost felt like I wanted to be. Do you know what I mean? I really wanted to because I like even back as a, then as a kid, I liked all the nostalgia and sort of throwbacks and looking back at past title reigns. It's very much my wheelhouse. That's that's what I love about pro wrestling. That's my my cup of tea. So even as a kid, I liked looking into who held the title for this amount of time and all. That. So seeing Backlund's name and articles about him in like WWF magazine that my parents w- would would get for me when they went into town and so on. It, <laughs> I wanted to like him. Yeah. But when you look at this here, he comes in at number two. This is a good example, I suppose. He comes in at number two. Ric Flair comes in at number one. Now, Backland is, he's, he's, he's as white as Seamus is now, shall we say. He's very, <laughs> very untanned. He's got old school classics, almost old school wrestling boots on, simple plain trunks, and he's ready to go. And that was very much what it was like in Backland's era, of course. But then you've got Flair who is his first opponent and flair is not too dissimilar plane trunks wow both, both red bits. trunks but both, both red trunks and that, that yeah. annoyed me as well i, I mean i'm a, i mean i don't know if you're a football fan simon but i get annoyed when two teams play each other in a kit that's very very close you know different yeah. shades of blue and it annoyed me to see the visual of, of them squaring up both yeah in in just red trunks and red boots um obviously yeah. we know now that flair wore the red trunks because he was going out early as is the urban legend with flair whenever he wears red trunks you ain't gonna see him for very long or he's at the losing end of a high profile match but it's um but but yeah it's just yeah it, it, it was it was very okay well but what i did find was fun i i really did and this is me watching it back was when flair was there and they were doing the you know we're battling the handshake and running his fingers through his hair and flair gave him a big woo to his face the crowd wooed along with him, yeah. And I was like, I didn't think, I didn't think we were doing that in 1993. Were, were we really? Was he? Was he kind of this cool fate, the cool heel that we we were we were doing that with? And um, and so that, I thought that was quite fun to view. And of course, the other thing, I, I know I'm sort of hopping over to Flair here a little bit, but um, Flair was done after this, wasn't he? This this was this was, I think he had <clears throat> uh, loser leaves WF the the roar after. So this was his big finale, and it's just uh, that was the biggest disappointment for me that it just went out with an absolute whimper. Yeah, exactly. He's um, he's asked at this stage back in late '92. He's asked McMahon for an opportunity to go back to w, uh, WCW. McMahon has already informed him that he's looking at going with the younger generation. Um, that's his his aim for the next year or so which is kind of comical when you consider he's got Bob Backlund in the rumble, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that, that's his aim. Um, Flair 
asked if he could negotiate with WCW or speak with WCW and see if they had anything for him, which of course they did. It's Ric Flair for crying out loud. Um, mm. So, you know, Vince sent him with his blessing and, and that's what happened. Yeah, the following night on Raw, he lost to Mr. Perfect in a loser leaves time or loser leaves WWF match or whatever. And he and he was he was done. That was that really. Um, but getting back to the whole Backland thing, uh, Flair, he, his hair looks great. He's tanned. His boots look I don't know. His boots just look better than Backlund's, I guess. Um, and by comparison, Backlund almost straight away looks not on his level. Um, Papa Shango comes out next with a face paint and someone, which I can kind of makes Backlund look a little bit plain again. And then you have DiBiase coming out, who again, you know, the beard, the hair, the money logo on his tights. Charisma, yeah. Yeah. So Backlund the whole time, he kind of looks... He looks a little out of place. And I think as well, he goes um, an hour... One minute and it was it one minute and ten seconds or one minute and eleven seconds, something like that. So he actually beats Ric Flair's record from the previous year by about thirty seconds or twenty seconds or something like that. But the difference in performances to me is outstanding because Backland here spends a lot of his time stood around not doing much. Um don't get me wrong, he's in the ring for over an hour. He's forty-four at this point fair play to the guy that's incredible still but then you look at flair the previous year every person who came in the ring wanted to work with flair mm. I, I did a show covering the 92 rumble a little while back and I, I watched it back again for like the millionth time and on this occasion i made notes of how many people when they came into the ring went for flair and it worked out that I, again i've not got the figures right in front of me here but it worked out that out of the 27 competitors that flair came across because one was eliminated before flair arrived and obviously flair is there himself so there would only well 20 28 then sorry competitors that he would have come across um 16 of them went for flair within 30 seconds of coming into the ring now so he's constantly working that's incredible um but also on backland he wasn't getting he got crickets when he came out there was no fan interaction no fan reaction sorry whatsoever people didn't seem to care but by the end they were behind him they were cheering him when he kept staying in and when he was eliminated there was actually booze yeah so would, whatever would, he would, did might yeah, have worked. yeah I, I, you, you might be right and that, that might be the case in my opinion though i think that was totally circumstantial i mean who else did they have to get behind by that yeah. point it was backland and savage um, you'd lost perfect who was over like Rover as well. Um, I, I, lo- I loved when he turned up and sprinted around the, down the ring and pointed straight at flair in the, mid- in the middle of the squared circle and, and the crowd were going nuts. So he was a, he was a heavy favorite there. Taker had obviously been taken out, um, as well. He was another guy who got a massive reaction. It, by that point, you had this big bad in Yokozuna. Um, it was either Savage or Backland. And, and that was, that was kind of it. Like, so I think as a, as a very young, crowd that's very used to seeing the good guy come victorious in the Royal Rumble as well. It's something high profile as this. Who else did you, you know, who are you supposed to cheer for? And I, I think that's what happened really, mm. to be honest. That being said, there was a good, um, I did notice as well, Backlund took a very modern spot, to be honest, where the Berserker like lifted um, the the padding outside the ring and uh, slammed Backlund down on it on the concrete, uh, which you didn't see too often back then. But also to uh, hit Backlund with a chair as well, and it's like, gosh, that was. And 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 another criticism we got the Rumble in general, I think, the production was off in some places. Like clearly, big things are trying to happen in the ring, big spots outside the ring there with Backlund, 
Um, and then the counter would already be starting for like the next person coming in. It was so distracting. That was annoying as well. But at the same time, yeah, did, I don't think the production did any favours for Backlund in, in, in the same way because those are two big sympathy-driven spots um, for him. But yeah, like, to your point, you're absolutely right. But by the end of it, he was the, the crowds were rooting for him. Um, just I know I didn't remember it as you know these years <laughs> later and like and, and Backlund's heroic performance is certainly not spoken about in uh, in like when every rumble comes around and mm. they talk about the great performances they never bring it up um so yeah i don't know just very indifferent to him yeah yeah definitely um you well obviously we're drawing to a, a close here today but before i let you go um you you commented there on the undertaker's elimination um giant gonzalez makes his wwf <laughs> debut <laughs> formerly el gigante in wcw um oh dear um <laughs> i'm sat watching this with and this i suppose will give you maybe a bit of an insight to what they were going for potentially that didn't quite make the mark i don't know i was sat watching this event with my youngest daughter charlie who is 11 and wrestling mad um so she's maybe not as easily impressed as some of my other kids who don't watch wrestling as often if that makes sense um i'm watching with charlie and i'm also watching with my son and his girlfriend who are both 17 18 when gonzalez came out the reaction from charlie the 11 year old was what is that ring gear that's literally what i've got written down here as a quote Ah. what is that ring gear whereas my son and his girlfriend the the 17 year olds both saw this guy and his height and they both literally went whoa saw past it yeah Yeah, so i don't know maybe, maybe that's what they were going for well, I, I don't know the exact story, but I, I think it wasn't. I think I've listened to a Bruce Pritchard podcast at some point in the past where he was quizzed on it. And I don't think it was what they were going for at all or something. But they, they, they went with it um, for whatever reason. But when um, uh, my five-year-old actually watched this with me this, and saw him come out, uh, he did say that he found him scary and intimidating. And mm. uh, I, and when I, when I was a kid, I, I, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sort of... Dave Meltzer in criticizing everything that I'm seeing at that point. By that point, I'm just accepting everything I see. And it's like, okay, there's this big dude coming down and his ring gear looks a bit crazy, but he's supposed to be a monster. So, hey, good for him. You know, the bottom line is he's throwing around the Undertaker. That's all I, you know, all I'm worried about. I'm care. I, I'm, I'm invested in. Um, and, you know, we, we could probably go more into that in the WrestleMania 9 episode. But that, the, to, yeah, it's, it's not great looking back. It's, oh, it's just so cringeworthy. I really wanted to defend it. Because I do like larger than life characters, you know. My favorite current talent is the Fiend. I love real like monsters. I do, I do, I enjoy it. It's what I, what I live for in wrestling. That sort of fantasy, larger than life people that you can see. So I really wanted to defend it, but from the moment he sort of gets in the ring and takes like one awkward stomp into the middle of the ring with his arms in the air, like <laughs> I'm just like, what am I? What this is? Yeah. This is this is this is terrible. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but Heenan, again, he dives in there and he's like, V-5-0-fum, oh my God, what is this? It's just like, it's... Um, yeah, yeah, I've got a quote from Heenan here saying, um, well, Grilla Monsoon says he is at least eight foot tall, which again, along with the ticket line, is Monsoon telling a little bit of a fib. And yeah. Bobby Heenan responds with, he may not even be human, which did make me laugh quite a bit, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I mean, more on Gonzalez to come, but... 
again, just like that, that was that was it. That that was probably the point where this rumble just went very. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, after that, uh, uh, it absolutely did. But there was one more bit, and I know I'm, I'm conscious we're probably overrunning. But there was one more bit. No, 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 really... no, no worries about that at all. You talk for as long as you like. Nice one. But there was one other bit that I really did mark for, and even I, I marked for it as a 36 year old man watching two big dudes square off in the middle of the rumble. Yokozuna and Earthquake. I, I was, I was, I don't know what the, the part of it where they just did like this big sumo type face off. Um, mm. And Earthquake just started jumping in the middle of the ring like a lunatic. And the crowd were going nuts for it. And yeah. it's like, again, I don't remember Earthquake being that over as a face. I know there was a whole period with the natural disasters. And again, that's another really underrated story. The whole Jimmy Hart managing different tag teams, giving different title shots to different teams and other teams not being happy about it. Um, I, I love all that. Again, it really sticks out in my mind as capturing my imagination and why I think this era is a bit of a, is, is a, bit of a um, dark horse for, for tag team wrestling. But that, but that single moment where you had Earthquake squaring up to Yokozuna, it was the first time we'd seen weakness in Yokozuna. He was getting toppled, he was looking wobbly, and the crowd was so into it. And then eventually, um, Yoko just like grabs Earthquake and just like almost like bellies him over, like grabs him around the waist and just throws, yeah. throws him over the top rope. And again, my son, my five year old watching that, was like, wow. He was totally captivated by that. Literally, at that time and at that period and what they were going for, two of the slowest dudes you could have asked for working together. <laughs> but it was, again, it's just the visual for it. And I, I, I must admit, I was, I, I was popping for it as well. Fair play. Yeah, it, it's, it is interesting to see, isn't it? Because if that was put on the television now, so many people could be critical of it. But the crowd reacted. You're saying your, your five-year-old reacted. And it, it does the job, doesn't it? There's, there's something to yes, be said about just two massive blokes slugging it out, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's and it happens often in rumbles. Like you know, people can't help their their inner child coming out. I think there was a later one, maybe in two thousand and three, four or something, when I think Rosie squared up to Rikishi, and uh, I know there's sort of kinship there and everything. But again, it was just two big dudes squaring up to each other. The crowd's like, oh, you know, what's going to happen here? Um, and it's like, oh yeah, I just just love it. For me, that was like that was my childhood. Watching just seeing that take place, yeah, just 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 got a bit excited for a bit. Yeah, no, I understand where you're coming from. Um, interesting note as well, I suppose, here. Not long after Earthquake made his entrance, we actually had Carlos Colon make his yeah. entrance, who was Calito Colon's father. Yep. Um, ran the, I think it's Puerto Rico, isn't it? The company that he's always been the promoter of for many, many years. They're the same place where um, Bruiser Brody sadly uh, met the end of his life. Um he comes out to to basically cricket. So I don't think people really know who he was. Um, they've been talking about Bob Backlund all the way through this. Amazing. He's in the ring for this long at his age. And they refer to Carlos Colon, Grilla Monsoon does as a youngster when he comes out. Yeah, Cologne, call, Cologne's actually 12. Too. Yeah. He's actually nearly a year older than <laughs> Backlund. Um, <laughs> At 44 at this stage, I think back then was 43. And again, those are the ages at the moment of AJ Styles and John Cena, just to put it into a little context of modern day, I guess. But um, (laughs) yeah, we we come to the eventual winner, Yoko Zuna, making his entrance. Um, This guy was huge, but my God, could he move, eh? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you've, you've probably seen the recent, um, they did a special, didn't they, for him on the network, uh, which yes. is like just his struggles and how he just perpetually got bigger and bigger and bigger. But yeah, I mean, this was so, he was still massive at this point. Um, but um, but yeah, he, he could absolutely move. He, he, 
And and the thing is, he didn't need to either. He could, he could just be this man whose gravitational pull could just mean every, everything just bounces off him, and you'd you'd believe it. Um, but I mean, he was he was another one who was genuinely terrifying. Uh, another one which, mm-hmm. as a kid, you would you you'd be you know who who can beat this man? They built him up this, to such a point. Um, and in a lot of ways, I'm glad he won what he did. I know it was we'll probably talk about the actual finish in a minute and how ridiculous that was. Yeah, but it really it almost like teed it up for generations of rumbles to come where it was like oh how are you gonna get this guy out of the ring because like you, you always have this mental image of well yeah yokozuna was massive and no one could no one could knock him out and it's uh mm. um but yeah the, the absolute legend very very talented had no idea he was samoan at the time as a kid did you sorry did you have any idea he was uh, he was he wasn't japanese at the time no no I, I, I thought he was i thought he was japanese as far as i was concerned yeah yeah, mental. And and what the, the the beautiful thing about that, which they showed on the special on the network, was that he was actually um, the, the the whole like Samoan family um, was 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 proud of the fact that he was Japanese in that character because they didn't at that point everyone who'd sort of come from that sort of family that tribe had been portrayed as like savages had been mm. portrayed as the same sort of like wild man character, which you see in this rumble as well with the head shrinkers when they come out, you know, by yeah. being grabbed by the hair and tossed into the ring, which again, I loved, I thought that was fantastic as well. But, um, the fact that Yokozuna was there being a success as something other than that typecast, um, was, was meant underrated talent. Didn't appreciate him at the time. Again, big bad guy hated his guts, but it, but yeah, uh, absolute talent. Yeah, definitely. I remember being absolutely terrified of when he squashed uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, um, yeah. And Duggan coughed up blood in, in, in like, you know, storyline and so on. That, that terrified me as a kid. So, yeah, that got him over with me. Um, at 30, we have Randy Savage making his entrance. The crowd really popped for Savage here, uh, as they should. Um, and it's really the, the only good reaction, I suppose, in the last sort of 10 or so people coming out. I think you're right, Simon, when you say that the crowd kind of did sort of fall away a touch towards the, the end of the rumble until Savage makes his entrance. Um, we get down to Yokozuna and Savage as the final two. And I don't, I don't really know how to describe this. It's just so strange. I mean, eventually Yokozuna's knocked off his feet, which again, leads to a good reaction from the crowd because it's something that hadn't happened before that, that they're explaining on commentary. Savage goes for his top rope elbow, which again, fine, the guy's on the deck, why not? But then he attempts to cover him and mm. Yokozuna, as they're selling it, effectively bench presses Savage over the top rope, but Savage kind of has to throw himself over the top rope. It's a really odd ending to this match, isn't it? I think I, I can't work out what happened and I've not read any anecdotal feedback about what actually happened there. But in my mind, one of two things happened. Either Savage did just have an absolute moment and forgot what was happening and planned this finish, called it in the ring. I said, I'll go for the cover. You shut, shut me out. And <coughs> excuse me, Gorilla Monsoon did not do him any favors by saying, as he was being thrown out, there is no pins in this match, pal, and made Savage look like an absolute imbecile. Um, or the only other thing I could think of is something went wrong Savage was supposed to be in that position because that was going to be the easiest way for Yoko to get the leverage to push him up because that's not an easy thing to do even with an assist from Savage to be in that position 
and spring over the top in the way he did. It's not very natural. Mm. And maybe he just realized that and he had to be like, oh, no, I'm supposed to be the other way around, supposed to come off the other turnbuckle or something. And maybe just want hope, hope people wouldn't notice. But yeah, it goes down in infamy as just one of the most ridiculous endings to a Royal Rumble and probably the most contributing factor, well, that and Giant Gonzalez, to, to it being ranked so low on these lists that you mentioned earlier. Just yeah, farming. I think so. I, I, think, I think it's the, a trio of things. Um, I think it is the the Gonzalez thing. It, it, it was pretty pretty poor, let's be honest. Um, the The finish is just odd and i don't enjoy watching that back and then i think the lack of star power in general i think is where this rumble in comparison to others again i still enjoyed watching it back it's a war rumble but in comparison to others i think that's why it kind of loses a lot of ground when looking at it with others in mind too um that i suppose brings us to the end of Mm. our our look at this first trip to 1993 simon um what i do with everybody else on the show when they come on and we look back at old pay-per-views is we try and give each show a grade each so you'll give it a grade i'll give it a grade in our opinion like an old school kind of school grade a b c d whatever um where would you sort of rate this in comparison to it's your own personal your own personal yep. choice your own personal grade so i imagine yours will differ to mine quite a bit um where would you place this in comparison to other events you've seen in your life how how highly would you rate this or how low would you rate this so my personal angle and bear in mind i'm rating this based on not taking wrestling too seriously because it was just our childhood nostalgia carries it a long way mm-hmm. um seeing some of my favorites within it I would, and if I was to select random on a, on a every live event I've ever seen and grade this in the middle of it somehow, um, I would probably. Yeah, do you know what? I'd probably put it as maybe mm, probably probably a C minus. I'm going to give it Simon. Ah, okay. See, that's funny. I, I'm thinking that we were going to be quite a way off, but I was going to give it exactly the same. No, oh, there we go. Yeah, I've, I've, I think the the opener there was enough there to keep me entertained. The Michaels Janetti match again, enough there to keep me entertained, even if it wasn't as good as I would have hoped. Um, Brett Razor was fantastic. The Rumble was what it was, but it's still a Rumble. So yeah, I think a C minus is is a pretty fair shape, my friend. Okay. Well, I think I think I think the thing for me is just it's the length of time and holding my attention span. I mean, you think that that whole event last was was shorter than a Raw or SmackDown today. And you just and and how much action you know as critical as we you can be of, of of the points and the hits and the matches and stuff. Ultimately, a lot happened in the two hours and forty minutes that we saw. And for that reason, like I, that's why I was conscious. I didn't want to go lower than C because I thought if lower than C suggests it's it's awful and it's not. It's it's if it, it I could slap it on with my dinner um, randomly and I'd be perfectly sports entertained. Absolutely. Uh, we've still got Survivor Series night to come. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I think we might be using a, a letter lower than C on that occasion. Well, I pride, myself, but, hey. I, try, I, pride, I pride myself on trying to be a, a really positive person when it comes to wrestling, not take it too seriously. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one because I, I bet you I don't. I, I bet you I don't rate it as low as you might think. See that, I, that, that I'm I'm very curious about that. I think WrestleMania Nine is going to be an interesting discussion because that was the one that you were most interested in covering when we first discussed a show. Um, SummerSlam '93, 
I'm looking forward to, even though it has its shortcomings, because it was something that the whole Lex Express thing, it holds a special place in my heart because I saw Lex in WCW. Um, the Luger article I wrote was one of the first articles that did well for me. So that whole story kind of holds a special place in my heart. So I'm looking forward to watching that back. King of the Ring 93 is one of my favorite shows of all time. So I'm looking forward to watching that back. Survivor Series 93, I just remember being terrible. But remembering it being terrible has meant I have not watched it in many, 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 many years. So perhaps it's not as bad as I remember. Who knows? We'll, we'll find out in the Let's coming weeks and months, yeah. I guess, my friend. Um, before I let you go, can you let everybody out there listening where they can find you on the internet and all the usual connections, please? Uh, absolutely no worries. As always, the best place you can um, keep up to date with my progress is on Evolution Wrestling, at Evo Wrestling on Instagram, uh, Evolution Wrestling on Facebook. Um, expect big things to come. Uh, the world is healing. Uh, it, there, there's, you know, there, there'll, be, there'll be news um, about all your favourites and, and hopefully include myself in the time to come. So, yeah, give it, check us out, as always. Great stuff. And when this comes out, um, I'll uh, be tagging you in it and so on, so you can sort of... Uh, Everyone can find Simon as well via that way, I guess. Um, okay, we'll uh, look forward, I suppose, to WrestleMania 9. Maybe there's an episode of Superstars or a WrestleMania build-up we maybe need to cover in the meantime as well. But I'll have a little dig into that research-wise and let you know, bud. Um, thank you so, so much for coming on the show today and talking through Royal Rumble 93 with me. I've had a blast. I've had a great time. Um, I'm really looking forward to this little sort of mini project with yourself and looking forward to, uh, well, traveling back in time with you maybe once every couple of weeks. Absolutely. Professional as always, Simon. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. Thanks again. And to everyone else, thank you for listening. <laughs>